0: So this morning, Jeff Carson, who is one of our elders, is going to be preaching from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15, which you can find on page 967 on those house Bibles in front of you. So please stand with me if you're able. As I read aloud, I'll be starting in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8. but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much, had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your goodness to us that never ends. And I pray that this morning you would give us soft and humble hearts. I pray that you, it would be your words coming through Jeff today as he preaches to us. I pray that you'd give us the assurance of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, and that we would know that that would never run out, and that you'd teach us what it means to trust you with all of our being. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Good morning. Today we are talking about, if you didn't catch it from our passage, we're talking about giving. We're talking about money. We're talking about your money and how you think about it, your money and what you do with it, and I'm pretty excited. You may not be yet, but I am. I know some of you may come from church experiences that were more heavy-handed when addressing giving and generosity, where where it was talked about seemingly all the time and certainly not graciously, where people were shamed into giving more and more to the church to their own detriment, maybe because of some form of greed in church leadership, or maybe just because of some legalistic leaning. And if that's been your experience, I just want to start by saying I'm sorry, and that's not what we're going to do here today. For those of you who didn't grow up in church who who may be down with like generosity in general but the idea of you know generosity that looks like giving chunks of money to some religious organization like giving money to a church that may just sound crazy to you and that's okay like I'm glad you're here wherever you are wherever you come from what we'll see in our passage today is that Paul doesn't write to the Corinthians with a club in his hand to bludgeon them into giving He doesn't write to cast stones and neither do I stand before you this morning. At the same time though, Paul doesn't shy away from encouraging them to show the grace they've received in practical generosity. I mean, he devotes two whole chapters in this letter to the Corinthians to giving. So the pastors here in Chorus we want to live in this tension of not talking about giving so much that it turns into, it drifts into berating, and not talking about it so little that we miss what God wants to do in and through us. And, and that's why I'm excited about this morning, because this passage, it's so full of grace. It's so rich and truths about God, and I think and I hope you'll see as well, it's it has quite a bit of practical application about generosity and about how we approach giving. And all of it points to this main point that if you know the grace of God, the grace of Jesus, you'll show the grace of Jesus through your generosity. So here's where we're going. We'll first consider two foundational truths about generosity from our passage that if they take root in our hearts could radically reshape how we think about God's provision in our lives. Two truths that could radically alter the way we live and give. And then we'll get to some practical considerations about how generosity is lived out in our heads, in our hearts, and through our hands. But before we like, totally dive into our passage, we need to do a little contextual groundwork, All right. We don't often hear in Carus do one-off sermons that aren't tied to the current book we're working through like Matthew or the Psalms. And so what would be helpful for us to know about Paul and the Corinthians before we jump into our passage? Well, Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians to further address some of the things he wrote about in what we call 1 Corinthians. But he's also writing to address the faction of corinthian believers who had been led astray by his opponents and who now doubt paul's authority as an apostle of jesus paul's concern it wasn't just that they doubted his authority and his teachings he he wasn't overly concerned about them attacking him personally paul was convinced his gospel message was true and a genuine reflection of the good news of Jesus. And so if his opponents were able to convince some of the Corinthian believers to doubt his teaching, they wouldn't just be doubting his teaching, they would be doubting the very gospel of God. Thankfully, though, through the influence of another letter that we don't have record of, that was written sometime between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and was delivered to the Corinthians by Titus, Many had genuinely repented and were united again with Paul and were supportive of his ministry. But there remained this this faction who were standing against him. And Paul's writing to offer them another opportunity to repent and believe the good news and join him again in his ministry work. And part of that ministry work was a collection of funds to help the believers in Christ in Jerusalem. One commentator referred to this collection as the Jerusalem Project. The saints in Jerusalem were ostracized and persecuted for their faith in Christ. And because they were ostracized, it meant that their streams of income had, were drying up or had already dried up, and they were experiencing extreme poverty. So as Paul goes about his missionary journeys through Macedonia and Achaia and first century Asia, he's rallying financial support for these dear brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Paul speaks of this in in 1 Corinthians. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And here in our passage this morning, Paul is writing about a year later, to encourage them to complete the good work they initially desired and committed to. Okay, so that's the background. That's the context. And now I think we're ready to get into our passage. And like I mentioned earlier, we're going to first look at two foundational truths about generosity and then explore how those truths practically get worked out through our heads, hearts, and hands. So the first foundational truth about generosity from our passage is this the direction of generosity. And this foundational truth comes to light in the first half of our passage. So let's just start by looking back at verses 1 through 4. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And one of the first things that roots Paul's discussion of this offering for the believers in Jerusalem is the grace of God. That word grace, it shows up five times in our passage. And we see it here in verse 1. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. It's the same word in verse 4 that's translated as favor. They begged him for the favor of partaking in that offering. And we'll look at it further in the second foundational truth, but just know for now, grace is at the heart of generosity. Paul mentions there the grace of God that had been given among the churches of Macedonia Macedonia was that northern region of modern-day Greece. That region included cities like Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi, where Paul had spent considerable time ministering. And he wants the Corinthians in southern Greece to know about the grace of God that had come to the Macedonians and enabled them to give generously amidst their own severe affliction. Again, in verse 2, we see... For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So, imagine you're back in grade school. Your teacher, you're you're learning about comparing, you know, things that are alike and things that are different. And your teacher says, Okay, class, which of these is not like the other? Abundance of joy, extreme poverty... And a wealth of generosity. Which of these doesn't belong? Well, it's pretty obvious, right? At least at first glance, it doesn't seem like extreme poverty should be mentioned in the same list as abundance of joy and a wealth of generosity. But for Paul and for the believers in the Macedonian region, the formula, the recipe For an overflowing wealth of generosity included these three things, severe affliction, abundant joy, and extreme poverty. This is wild, you guys. The believers in Macedonia, like their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, they'd experienced much persecution for their faith in Christ. And when they heard about the need in Jerusalem, they begged Paul for the favor of taking part in that collection. That's what verse 4 says begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. It's almost like Paul, knowing the economic situation of the Macedonian believers, he wasn't even gonna ask them to contribute, but somehow they got word of, of what was happening to the believers in Jerusalem. They got word that Paul was collecting funds to take there and they begged him, please, Paul, we know what it's like to be afflicted. We know how hard basic everyday life is in the midst of persecution Please let us contribute. And so he relented. And we see in verse 3 how they gave sacrificially. Paul writes, They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. There was no coercion here, no heavy handed appeal from Paul for the Macedonian believers to give out of what little they had. This was motivated by love, this was motivated by joy. Now, I think this exposes part of the reason we struggle to live generously today, especially in the West. Severe affliction, persecution, extreme poverty like the Macedonian churches were experiencing, they have a way of sharpening our focus, enabling us to discern what truly is important in life and what's not. What's truly a necessity for life and what's not essential. And by and large, we don't know what that's like. And that's part of why it's hard for us to be generous. We, we haven't walked through that kind of refining. And, and I don't say that as a means of condemnation. I mean, in God's providence, we don't naturally find ourselves in that position. Most of us weren't born into extreme poverty and affliction. We're not condemned for that but we do need to realize that in some way, as as counterintuitive as it may sound, our relative prosperity is actually a hindrance to genuine generosity. So if we don't have the help of affliction and poverty to refine and frame what is and isn't essential in our lives, what, what are we to do? Well, This brings us to the foundational truth that caused the Macedonians to beg Paul to give and motivated them to give beyond their means, and we see it in verse 5. Look with me there. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So here it is, our first foundational truth about generosity. It's the direction of generosity. Generosity is first vertical and then horizontal. We often think of generosity mainly as it relates to our horizontal relationships, right? We see someone in need, and so we give them a few dollars. We hear Kevin point to the screen and say, hey, this is how you can be a part of giving to Karas Church. And so you get on the Church Center app or online, and you give. We hear about a family that's launching out of our church to be missionaries in Brazil or Japan or somewhere in Africa, and we agree to financially support them. Now, those are certainly all good things, right? But I want to caution us this morning that if our generosity only moves horizontally, even when we're giving to God-honoring things, but it's void of the vertical dimension, then our generosity will be stunted. Just assuming the, the vertical dimension is covered because it's a good cause, without actively engaging the God of all grace, can stunt the work that he wants to do in you and through you. God-honoring generosity is first vertical and then it's horizontal. It starts with the commitment to God, a recognition that, God, I am yours. Everything I have is yours. I give myself to you today I give myself to you in this moment as I'm about to make a decision about giving or spending. And then after that vertical dimension of generosity is set, God honoring generosity asks, how would you have me direct the money and the time and the talent and the energy you've given me? Paul says the Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to Paul in his ministry first to the Lord and then by the will of God to the believers in Jerusalem through Paul and his ministry. Generosity is the horizontal extension of the vertical grace we've experienced from God. We give ourselves first to the Lord and then we ask for wisdom about the what and the to whom and the how much. I wonder how many of us approach our resources and our spending in that way. God, here it is. All I have is yours. It's from you. How shall I direct it today? How shall I direct it this month, this year? Like I mentioned before, I I believe this foundational truth, if it takes root in our hearts, it has the potential to radically reshape the way we live and give. How so? How, How might it relate to how we give to the local church? How might it relate to how we give to other ministries or, or missionaries? How, how, how might it relate to how we make multiple decisions a day regarding what we do with our money? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're a member of a local church like Karas, then you commit yourself to the Lord. You do that vertical work first. And then you do the horizontal work of generosity by asking, Lord, what do you want it to look like for me to give to support the work of this local body, my spiritual family? God, I am yours. Everything I have is yours. Out of all of the resources and the provision you've supplied, what do you want me to give? How do you want me to give? If an individual or a family approaches you about supporting them as they take the gospel and and serve somewhere overseas, we do the vertical work first and then the horizontal. God, I am yours. Everything I have is yours. You've already directed me in generosity to my local church, but I also see you are at work in Japan, and you're at work in the Groves and the Glossons. or I see how you're at work in Uganda, and you're also at work in the Reese's. Is there a way you want me to be a part of your work there? I know David and Heidi and their boys have made the rounds visiting all of our missional communities to talk about their move to Uganda and what God is calling them to be a part of there. Here's how this foundational truth shapes our perspective on giving to support missionaries like this. The thing is, the Reese's aren't just asking you, they're not just asking us as their church family to give them money. They're asking you to ask the Lord if he wants you to be a part of what he's doing in Uganda. As great as the Reese's are, and they're awesome, and I hope that many of us will contribute financially to what they're doing, it's not just about the Reese's. It's about what God is doing. And I know that may sound like a distinction without a difference, but there's a huge difference. Generosity is first vertical, and then it's horizontal. So what about the dozen everyday decisions we make about directing our money? Well, when you get an email from Amazon letting you know that Prime Day is here, you present yourself first to the Lord. God, I'm yours. Everything I have is yours. And then you ask, is it even wise for me to open this email? and follow these links to see all of the possible deals that I might miss out on. When I speak about the direction of generosity, I'm not, I'm not just talking about like, here are two boxes you need to check off before you spend your money. I'm talking about an orientation of our hearts. Paul situates generosity in the context of the normal Christian life. Look with me at verses 6 through 7. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete you, plead, complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Just like you excel in these other aspects of your faith, excel in generosity also. Just like you present yourself first to the Lord, and then to others, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in love, do the same in your generosity. Okay, so that's the first foundational truth of generosity. Let's move on to the second, the motivation of generosity. Let's keep reading in our passage in verses 8 through 9. I say this not as command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love, is, love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So Paul is writing to encourage the Corinthian church to finish collecting the contribution they'd committed to for the Jerusalem saints. He's not commanding them. He's exhorting them. He'd encouraged them with the example of the Macedonian believers who gave generously in their affliction and poverty, and now he encourages them, the Corinthians, to prove, to demonstrate their love is genuine by their generosity. For the Corinthians, their contribution to the Jerusalem project was an opportunity to show that their love for God and that their love for Paul and their love for the believers in Jerusalem, it was genuine. And the same is true for us today. Generosity is an opportunity for you to prove your love is genuine, to show that your faith is real. Your generosity, it doesn't earn you God's love and favor. It shows you've already experienced it in Christ. And that brings us to our second foundational truth about generosity, the motivation of generosity. Our generosity naturally flows out of God's generosity toward us. Look again at verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Read that first part again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For you know. It doesn't say for you know about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, I'm sure you've heard about this before. I'm sure you know some of the details. I'm sure you could recite some true things about the grace of Jesus. No, Paul says, for you know. That word know there is all over the New Testament and its Hebrew equivalent is seen all throughout the Old Testament. And it's not just knowledge about, it's knowledge through experience, The way a husband knows his wife through years of intimate experience. The way a child knows its mother. It's tangible, it's felt, it's transformational experience with another. And how was that grace of Jesus displayed, proven for the Corinthians and for us? He who was rich became poor for us so that by his poverty we might become rich. This verse is, it's loaded with just theological goodness. Keep, yeah, it's on the screen there. In it, we see the preexistent Christ, right? He was rich. He existed in his heavenly riches before coming to earth in human form. We see the incarnation. Yet for your sake, he was made poor. He condescended to us, leaving his privilege and his position at the right hand of the Father, coming to the earth in human form. And we see our justification. He became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the great transfer that took place on the cross whereby he took our sin and we received his goodness and were granted all spiritual blessings through his perfect life. This is the good news of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, embrace this true motivation for generosity. And for those here who don't yet know this grace, like the offer for you is, is there to turn this morning from your rebellion against God and to embrace this Jesus. Generosity is a real-life picture of the gospel of grace. When we had done nothing to earn it or deserve it, Christ stepped out of his riches into our poverty so that we might be del- delivered from our poverty poverty to his riches experiencing new life in Christ, it rightly orients our hearts toward generosity. To be generous with our material wealth, it's just the natural outworking of Christ's generosity with his spiritual wealth. And not only Christ's spiritual wealth, but the loving material provision that we receive from the heavenly father. Our generosity naturally flows out of God's generosity to us It's the visible evidence of the invisible grace of God. If if we had received nothing from the Lord, then it would make sense for us to not live generously, right? If we've received nothing from the Lord, then it would make sense that we wouldn't really understand generosity. But if we have received from the Lord, grace and mercy and love, and provision, then it only makes sense to show it in our generosity. If you, take, if you only take one thing away from this sermon, take this, please. It's the main point. If you know the grace of Jesus, you'll show the grace of Jesus through your generosity. If you know it, you'll show it. There are pressing needs, material and spiritual needs, all around us today. There are pressing material and spiritual needs in this very church, in our neighborhood, in our community. There are pressing needs in the body of Christ locally and globally. And God's plan for meeting those needs is the generosity of his people. He can direct his resources in other ways, but the main way he works in the world is by meeting needs through his people. If our hearts have experienced the riches of Christ and salvation, then our hands will be opened in generosity. I love old hymns. Many of you are familiar with the, the hymn, Jesus Paid It All. The chorus goes, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Now there's a, a there's a way to read or sing those words, that's heretical, right? That totally goes against the gospel and the grace. And it sounds something like, Jesus paid it all, now I have a huge debt to pay back, and so I'm going to work the rest of my life on earth trying to pay him back for what he's done for me. I owe it to him. But friends, that is not the gospel. The right way to read and sing those words is this. Jesus paid it all. Now everything good in me, everything I have, all of it is owing to Jesus. It's because of him, it's from him. And so now I'll live the rest of my life out of that love with open hands for him to pour out his love and provision in me and through me. If you genuinely know the grace of Jesus, you'll show it through your generosity. And the hard reality on the flip side of that is if you find in yourself a heart that's not warmed in generosity toward God and toward others, then you need to examine this morning whether or not your heart has truly been transformed by the grace of Jesus. And that offer is there for you. The motivation of our generosity is God's generosity toward us. So, those are the two foundational truths about generosity in our passage. Let's, let's move on to some practical application as we consider how these truths are lived out in our heads, our, ha- our hearts, and our hands. So if you've been around cars for a minute, this language will, will probably be familiar to you, head, heart, and hands. You know, as followers of Jesus, we seek to have our whole lives conformed more and more to his image. So as we seek to apply truths from Scripture it's helpful to consider these three aspects. Our head, what do I need to know or understand? Our heart, how does this relate to, to my desires and my fears? How do I need to trust God in this? And our hands, how does this truth not just stay inward, but practically work its way out through my hands in everyday life? Okay, so the first, our head. What do we need to know or understand in order to walk in these foundational truths of generosity? Well, there's like one very practical nuts and bolts thing that comes from our passage that I think we need to know in order to to live generously. So look with me at verses 10 through 12 and see if it sticks out to you, okay? Don't try to like go super deep. Just something very nuts and bolts that we need to know. All right. And in this this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Did you catch it? twice at the end of verse 11 and then in the middle of verse 12, Paul said the Corinthians are to give out of what they have. So here's the super practical thing we need to know to practice the kind of generosity we see here in 2 Corinthians 8. We need to know what we have. This is as practical as it gets. This isn't a complex Bible truth that's hard to understand. Friend, are you aware of the amount of money that you have coming in every week or month, and the amount of money that you have going out every week or month to meet your basic necessities? Do you even know what you have? And I'm not just talking about pulling up your, your bank app and saying, oh, I have this amount of money in my checking account. Because if you use a credit card, even if you use it like responsibly and pay it off every month, the, the amount of money... in your bank account isn't an accurate reflection of what you have because some of that's already spent, right? We, we know how that works. Paul tells them to give out of what they have, what they've stored up and set aside for this offering. Generous giving requires intentional living. Generous giving requires intentional living. It requires living below your means so that you have something to give, right? Right? Generosity, it it can be spontaneous, and and we'll have opportunities to practice that kind of generosity all throughout our lives. But sustained generosity over a lifetime, it requires intentional living. It's almost like Paul is saying here to the Corinthians, you know, I'm not even asking you to be as generous as the Macedonians. Those those brothers and sisters are like, they're radical, right? They gave above their means, beyond their means. I'm just asking you to give according to your means. Friend, in order to do that, you have to know what your means are. So do you or your family have a way of tracking your income and expenses? This is something the Carsons have been pretty good at through different seasons of our marriage, but maybe not so great at in this current season, it's, it's not the know-how, it's like the discipline and the margin to do it. So again, like I have no stones to throw here this morning, but I just don't see a way to live a life of sustained and increasing generosity without have, having some kind of practical handle on your daily, weekly, or monthly finances. I mean, when the opportunity comes, will you know if you can even give generously, that's the head. Now, let's turn to the heart. The heart, how does this relate to my desires and fears? How do I need to trust God in this? Let's pick back up on the last several verses of our passage, starting in verse 12. Trust that when you give, God will supply your needs. Trust that when you give, God will supply your needs. Notice in verse 14, you can see it there on the screen. It doesn't say, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your wants, that there may be fairness doesn't say your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your Netflix subscription next month, that there may be fairness. No, it says needs, right? When I saw that email from Amazon on Tuesday, like, I, I mean, legitimately, an email comes through about all the Prime Day deals. Do you, and we, we buy a fair amount of things on Amazon, right? Like, probably a lot of you. But do you know what I needed from Amazon on Tuesday? amidst all of their Prime Day deals? What I needed? Nothing. There wasn't one thing on Amazon that I needed. But what about all those amazing deals that I might miss out on for things I don't need? I don't want to miss out on those, right? I know that can sound humorous, or maybe it sounds piercing, But that's where a lot of us live in our relative prosperity. All the while, basic human needs go unmet all around the world and even in our backyard. If you know the grace of Jesus, you'll show the grace of Jesus through your generosity. And in order to live generously, the posture of your heart has to be one of trust, Giving generously can be hard, right? It could be scary. When you're writing the check or about to hit submit on the online giving form, it's natural for fear to creep in and wonder, if, if I give this money, will there be enough money next month to take care of my needs? But brothers and sisters, the Christian life is one of trust. It involves giving and receiving from the Lord and from one another. That's what being a family means. Generosity, it isn't a solo endeavor. It's a family pursuit. So do you trust him enough to be generous? Now notice how Paul concludes our passage in verse 15. He says, As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is taken from Exodus 16, where God tells Moses how he's going to provide food for his people in the wilderness by raining this magical bread from heaven called manna, right? The people were to go and gather every morning what they needed for that day, except on the sixth day, they were supposed to gather double portions. They had enough for that day and the Sabbath. And every day, God was faithful to provide for them their daily bread. Brothers and sisters, As we open our hands in generosity, let's trust the God who has a long track record, a long history of faithfulness and supplying exactly what his people need. He is faithful and he will provide. So that's the heart. Let's turn to our hands. Our hands. How does this truth not just stay inside but work its way out through our everyday lives? Well, I think this one's pretty clear. Open your hands and give, right? Open your hands and give. If the posture of your life is one of open hands, then you're in the perfect position to receive more from the Lord and give it as he wills. But if your hands are closed toward his work in the world and closed toward meeting the needs of others, how will they receive more from the Lord to meet your needs? Closed hands aren't able to receive. Closed hands are an evidence of a closed heart toward God. And friend, that's a scary position to be in. Now, if you grew up in church or you've been around church for a while, you may be sitting there wondering, Jeff, how could you get to the end of a 40-minute sermon and not Say the T word one time. <laughs> I'm guessing most of you know, a lot of you know what that T word is, right? Tithe. The word tithe literally means tenth. Paul didn't direct the Corinthians in how much to give, and so I didn't feel like I needed to, from this passage, direct you in how much you're supposed to give either. But that principle of the tithe is from the Old Testament when God directed his people to set aside a tenth for his specific purposes. And likely, they set aside multiple tithes out of what they had. And so, you know, we question, well, are we commanded to tithe still today? Um, As you survey the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, you don't see like a real explicit command saying yes, you're still supposed to tithe today. I do think if you consider Jesus, even through our Matthew study, and you consider the law of love and liberty and how he says, you know, time and time again in Matthew 5 and 6, you've heard it said, and then he quotes something from the law, but I say, he goes even further. And so, I don't come this morning with a a law, but maybe the tithe is a good place to start. And that may sound crazy to some of you. But I believe, like, uh, I can just speak from our family. God has proven, proven himself faithful time and time again to supply our needs as we've tried to walk in generosity. So that's, a, like, that's really is a decision between you and the Lord, and if you've got questions about that, I'm going to be on the side stage later. But the invitation this morning is really the same as the invitation of every sermon. Will you trust God? Will you trust God? Will you trust him with your money? Will you give generously to meet pressing needs locally and globally for the glory and the fame of God? Will you do the hard work of intentional living that's required for sustained generous giving will you take that first step today this week paul's writing to keep this need in front of the corinthians and i'm preaching this morning to keep this need in front of you brothers and sisters like do i want do do i think the lord wants you to give generously to your local church absolutely yes and if you're a member here in Karis, do I want us to make strides together side by side as individuals and families in increasing and at, in increasing generosity and support of the ministry God has given and called us to here in Carus? Absolutely. But as your pastor, I, I don't come with any motivation to guilt you into that. It's for your good. It's for his glory. Won't you join us? If you're here and you've been visiting for a while, but you haven't totally bought into you know, really being a part of chorus and membership? Would you, would you consider that? We have a vision to be a blessing to the city, a blessing to this neighborhood, a blessing to the world for the glory and the fame of God, but it will require God's people giving generously to bring that to reality. And we, So would you join us? Not just so that you can give your money, but because you need a local gospel family some way, somehow, And this local gospel family needs the unique contributions from people just like you. If you know the grace of Jesus, you'll show the grace of Jesus through your generosity. And pray with me. God, thank you for your grace. You are rich in grace and mercy and kindness and patience. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you have condescended to us you become, to become one of us, to live the life that we couldn't. God, we thank you for the way you've made possible for us to be in right relationship with you. I pray, Father, that um, this morning you would bring faith and renewed faith to us. God, where we need to be encouraged, pushed to give generously, God, by your Spirit, bring that encouragement. Where our hearts are wrong and we need to be convicted by your Spirit, God, do that as well. We love you and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.